Hello and welcome to Small Publishing in a Big Universe. I am your host, L.A. Jacob. This month's interview is with author Randy Dawn. Coming from our sponsors this month, from Water Dragon Publishing, The Repossessed Ghost by Brian Bull, and Flames of Attrition by Vanessa McLaurin Ray. For Dragon Gems, we have the Summer 2023 Anthology. From Paper Angel Press, Dodging Prayers and Bullets by Karen Beatty, The Double Crossing by Sylvia Patience, and The Weaver's Daughter, a new edition by Sylvia Patience. Pass the Long Days with Short Tales from the Dragon Gems Summer 2023 Anthology. This third collection of speculative fiction from many talented new authors is available this month. And, for a limited time, get the digital editions of Dragon Gems Winter 2023 and Dragon Gems Spring 2023 for only 99 cents each. Or visit the Water Dragon Publishing Square storefront for special deals on printed editions. The Dragon Gems Summer 2023 edition is available this month from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Smashwords, and other online booksellers. Or support your local independent bookstores by ordering it through bookshop.org. For more information, visit their website at waterdragonpublishing.com. Hi, and welcome again to Small Publishing in a Big Universe. I am your host, L.A. Jacob, and with me today, I have Randy Dawn, an author, and she's going to be discussing a book that she has had out for about a year now, Tune In Tomorrow. Welcome to the podcast, Randy. Thank you so much for having me. What is Tune In Tomorrow about? So Tune In Tomorrow is about a reality TV show that's run by mythical creatures for mythical creatures, but stars humans. And yes, it is meant to be funny. It just won an independent book humor award. So objectively, it seems to be funny. In my real life, I am a, an entertainment journalist. And so I've written a lot about TV and film. And I tried to put a lot of that in the background, how the sausage gets made and everything. So I cannot confirm or deny if any characters in this book are based on real people that I have met, but you can decide that for yourself. That is what Tune In Tomorrow is about. That's awesome. Why did you write this book? There's never just one thing that goes into a book. But basically, I have an agent and I had given her two different books, which were much more serious, and they hadn't quite gotten to publication. And she said, you know, why don't you try something a little different? So I was like, okay, well, what can I do that's a little different? Well, I had been working on this other thing, which might have become a game. There's a company called Choice of Games, which is a text-based online game. And they wanted ideas. So I had come up with this idea of young actress, joins a soap opera, finds more drama behind the scenes than in front of the scenes. Very classic sort of story. And then I wanted to marry that with an all about Eve scenario where you have the aging diva who's very threatened by the young, perky newcomer. Now, I know the basic threads here. So I was working on that as a game. That didn't pan out. That was a little too hard for me. It's okay to admit when you've broken your brain, but I still had the story. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something different. What if I took this story and put it in a fantastical universe where it wasn't just humans making shows for humans, but fawns and werepanthers and palmberos and centaurs? What kind of TV would they watch? 
And I thought, well, when we watch fantasy, we want to watch about castles and magic and strange creatures and things we're not familiar with. And I thought, well, that would be very boring for fantastical creatures. They'd want to know about the dull and boring stuff in our lives. Adultery or embezzlement or how do you write a check or what is this a car crash mean? And I thought those are the things that really show up in soap operas and also reality TV shows. But it was a way to flip the idea and make it fresh, hopefully, and original. And then that's kind of really how it came to be. This is one of the fastest books I ever wrote out. I already had kind of an outline because I had been structuring it for the game. It was just about adding in new things. And then I'm a huge fan of puns and plays on words and jokes like that. So this really just opened it up for me to be free to do those kind of things. And they're all over the book. So it wasn't just a revenge book. I won't say revenge. What I will say is that it is nice to be able to step away from things that maybe were challenging to you or people that maybe you didn't always like being around and put them in the book in various ways. The fact is that some of the characters are mildly inspired by people who I actually really like, who are super nice people, but they're the ones who came to my mind for, for the Dangerous Diva or the Lothario on set. And I'm like, I get to take them because I'm a writer and I can do that. But there's one character who has a very tiny part and she may or may not have been a supervisor of mine and I would have liked to put a little bit more of her in there. I think that there's always a little bit of that going on where you get to pick and choose from your own life. But there is a section where we go to the corporate headquarters that would run this show and it's run by these fairies. They're the ones who are in charge of it. It's the Sealy Court Network. And we see that they're kind of obnoxious and very full of themselves and very perfect and that's very boring. So we see how they think they're operating the shows, but our executive producer, who's kind of one of our heroes, is trying to make his own show. So there's a little bit of corporate uh, stuff going on in there, too. What is your work schedule like when you're writing? I'm very lucky. I'm at this desk, and whether I'm writing fiction or freelance, I get to do it from right here. So that's really cool. But it doesn't always occupy eight hours of my day. So for me, a work schedule for writing, I know there are people who are like, you must sit down and do three hours a day or two hours a day. You have to put some words down every day. But to me, the concept of writing is something that involves more than just putting words on a page or typing. I think we all can recognize the idea of I'm going to stare out this window for 20 minutes while I let the story play around in my head. And then I'll come back and maybe put some words down. That's how it is for me. I write in my head. I kind of have a movie in my head. And what you're seeing on the page largely is me transcribing this movie that's been going on in my head. So I feel like I can be writing by walking around the block, by going to a museum and getting inspiration from art. That helps me a lot. It doesn't have to be words on a page. I think everybody has their own way of doing it, but I'm not one of these people who writes, oh, I put down a thousand words today because to me, it's about quality, not quantity. I want to know that there are words that are actually going to make it later on. So my work schedule is just keeping focused on the writing, however it ends up getting done, because the way I look at it is you have to sort of poke that muse in your head. If you let the muse go to sleep, it can take a while to wake her back up again. But once you have her up, put her on that treadmill, make her do something one way or the other every day, even if it's not words on a page. That's kind of my work schedule. You said with this book, you pretty much outlined it already. Do you normally outline or pre-outline <laughs> of some sort? Or do you actually just sit down and say, whatever happens, happens? Honestly, this really was the first time I properly outlined something. I think that the word outline confused me for a lot of years. I always thought you had to do it as if you were in English class. Roman numeral number one. 
words, letter A. And I think I tried to do that a few times. And I said, this is just like killing the spirit of the book. I can't Mm -hmm. outline. This is no good. What worked for me ultimately for this book was having to sort of go chapter one, this is what's going to happen in that chapter. Chapter two, this is what's going to happen in that chapter. What was helpful for me is it became like a ladder when I was actually writing the book because I would say, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I appear to be at the end of chapter one. I don't have to put all of this other stuff in it because I've already mapped out that this stuff is coming later. So I didn't drive myself crazy with an outline, but this is the first time I did that. I'm writing a follow-up right now, and I didn't really do an outline. I just kind of went with the direction I wanted to go in. And there is joy in that too, because the story can surprise you. I enjoy the surprises. If a story isn't going in a direction that I want it to, sitting down and writing out each chapter, I think is really very helpful. So I'm a little of both. I love the idea that everybody has their own way of doing it. You can listen to what everybody's rules are, but then you have to figure out how those rules work or don't work for you. And you Mm -hmm. keep what works and you throw out the rest. Do you presently have a passion project other than the follow-up? At any given time, I have a bunch of books that are somewhere in progress. During the pandemic, I actually wrote a full novel that is not in this universe, which does not have magic per se in it. But when Tune in Tomorrow got picked up for publication, I kind of had to shift gears and do all the edits and do all the publicity for that. So I left that book in this sort of developmental stage. So that is sitting there. I have other books that didn't end up getting acquired, but I think are still in good positions to be published at some point. But in the long term, I have this passion project that is actually more of a memoir, but I want to make it a memoir that's also heavily fictionalized which talks a little bit about, before I wrote about television and film, I did a lot of music journalism. And I love musicians and I love writing about musicians. And I want to talk about sort of some of the behind the scenes stuff that I encountered while I was doing that. So I have that big overall picture, but I also have to be very emotionally honest in it too. So I'm going to wait for another book or two to come out before I can really settle in to feel comfortable and tackle that. When you said Tune for Tomorrow was acquired, is it a, a large publisher or a small publisher? They're a large-ish independent publisher that's based in Oxford in England. Rebellion is this company that does a lot of games-related things, and then they have an imprint for science fiction fantasy called Solaris. They've won like a British Fantasy Award for Best Small Independent Press. So I always find it kind of a, a hard question to answer because it's not one of the big four or the big five, and it's not necessarily a name that's hugely recognized in the U.S., but they are a decent-sized independent publisher in the U.S. In the past, have you self-published or published with smaller publishers or not published at all and just wanted to go for the... So I've had a lot of short stories in independently or small press published anthologies. Those are not books that I personally publish, so it's hard to say that way. This is my debut novel, period, in any in any size press one way or the other. But I also have a nonfiction book called uh, The Law and Order SVU Unofficial Companion, which came out in 2009 when we had no idea that this show would still be on the air this many years later. But that came out through Ben Bella Press. So I've had other books that have come out in other places. I co-edited a book for fantastic books called Across the Universe, Tales of Alternative Beatles. And every single story that we compiled was a different take on, oh, what if the Beatles were the A-team? Or what if the Beatles were wizards? And, and that was a lot of fun. So... I've done a lot of work in a lot of small presses and independent presses. I did self-publish just to try it out on Amazon, a 60-page book of some short stories that had already been published. So I've tried a little bit of things. 
my agent was very insistent that we try to go for the gusto and try to get my book traditionally published one way or the other, rather than going for really small presses. And I'm still wavering as to whether that's how I want to stay because I've got so many books and I want to get them out. And this process is so slow. Tune in tomorrow got, we signed the contract in July of 2021 and it came out in August of 2022. It was a little over a year. I totally understand why it had to go like that. But now I'm like, I have another book. Will you please look at my book? <laughs> and it's it's just so slow to get anybody to jump on that sort of You're still on the fence, though, of whether or not you prefer the amount of control that you have under self-publishing? Well, there's a lot of factors that go in here. I think the main thing that anybody who gets published traditionally, you get an agent, they find an independent or a big five publisher, and they put you out. The main thing you get from that is legitimacy and prestige. People look at the book and they say, oh, this doesn't look like something that Amazon just sort of coughed out. It looks good. It's presented well. It's associated with a company that other people have heard of before. And so, yeah, you get certain things from that side. If you are, say, I just got out of my MFA program. I'm 23 and I got many books to tell. I think that that helps. It helps if you sort of push yourself toward a more traditional area because you have decades and decades to figure this out and get to a higher level. But in terms of being able to sell books and really get the books that you want out there, I'm not in my 20s. I'm not in my 30s and I'm not in my 40s. So this is my first novel. I'm an older author who finally got something out that they wanted to get out. Well, I sometimes, and I've said this to people, I'm going to die before I get all my books out if I wait for the traditional way every single time. But it's a bit like aim high and then if that doesn't work out, at least you can sort of work with smaller presses, but people will let you be a little more hands-on. But the thing that sticks with me that my agent kept saying was, look, people are going to look at how your last book sold before they give you your next deal. So if you go and put something out on a very small press and you sell 25 copies or you sell even 100 copies, and then you have another book, oh, this is the big one. This can really go to a bigger press. The next press may want to look at what you've previously done and how that sold. It's not fair if you self-published it for them to then suggest that that it maybe went gangbusters. But that is apparently a line that they look for is how many books did your last book sell so that we can get a sense of how many books you're likely to sell at this next one. That factor was a big thing for me. So this way, I figure if I can get a couple of books out traditionally, and then I still have all these books that I want to put out, I'll be like, great. I will have built my audience. I'll have this legitimacy. I have a couple of books that really look super professional and then I can just be like, and here's the rest of the stuff. If you like this stuff, you're going to like this stuff. Do you find that you read and write in the same genre? And if not, what genres do you read and what genres do you write? I have found that I get the most joy out of writing in fantasy, humor, sometimes some horror as well. I read a lot of those books, but I'm kind of omnivorous. I will read a contemporary book. I'll read a mystery book. I'll read a thriller. I'll read a horror book. I have so many different books and genres. To me, it's all about, is this a good story? The thing that turns me off is where story takes a backseat to style. I think I've described this to other people as belly button staring stories where it's just, oh, I have lint in my belly button. Look at my <laughs> lint. It means things. Metaphor, metaphor. And that stuff is what often makes the New York Times bestseller list. That is not really what I'm here for. I want great story well told, not well told eh, on the story. I do not need to read another book about a middle-aged guy with angst in New England or something. I will say that I tend to like stories that have a larger ensemble cast, where you have multiple stories that are all woven together in a clever way, and then 
they all either affect one another at the end or they they mean something together at the end. You're not just reading a bunch of individual people who have no connection to one. That is often a favorite of mine, big epic stories like that. Where can people contact you? My name is Randy Dawn, R-A-N-D-E-E-D-A-W-N, and I'm randydawn.com. And that has a link to my newsletter. It has a link to where you can get all the books, where you can see my latest articles. That's the best way to reach me. If there's a place on social media that's for Randy Dawn, you can, that's probably me also because I'm Randy Dawn on Instagram and Randy Dawn on Twitter as well. You can usually find me there. And then I have author Randy Dawn on Facebook. Once you got the name down, you can find me almost anywhere you need to. And there's a whole contact form that you can reach out and send me thoughts. I love hearing when people have read the book, it has affected them in one way or the other. That is really amazing. So yeah, please reach out and I'm happy to chat. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. Do you think ghosts haunt only houses? As a repo man, Mel just pulled off the smoothest ache of his life. Kate, a college student, was undecided on which major to pursue. All of their plans went out the window the night Mel found Kate in the back of a 74 Nova. When Mel becomes a suspect in Kate's murder, he must leave his life behind and make a new start in Sacramento, California, where he and Kate meet other people with supernatural gifts. But not everything is sunshine and roses in California. Awakening to power comes at a cost, and all ghosts eventually become monsters. Can Mel trust these new friends in Sacramento? Can he help Kate find some peace without landing himself in jail? The fateful night Mel slipped behind the wheel of an old Chevy, it wasn't just the car that became repossessed. The Repossessed Ghost by Brian C.E. Bull is available this month from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Smashwords, and other online booksellers. Or support your local independent bookstore by ordering it through bookshop.org. For more information, visit their website at waterdragonpublishing.com. Thanks again to our guest. We plan on publishing new episodes every second Wednesday of the month. Watch for new episodes around that time. Theme music is provided by Melody Loops. Other music is found for free on the web. If you want to know more about small publishing in a big universe, visit our website at spbu-podcast.com. Tweet or X us at spbu-podcast and like us on Facebook at spbu-podcast. This podcast was recorded and edited by yours truly, L.A. Jacob. Executive producer is Stephen Radecki. Transcription services provided by Sleepy Fox Studio. This month's episode was sponsored by Paper Angel Press and Water Dragon Publishing. You can hear our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music, and most of your other favorite podcast services.